So, God, we just pray for your direction. We pray for uh, your wisdom. And we pray, Lord, that uh, this year be filled, Lord, with your praises, Lord. And at the end of 2015, may we be transformed more into the image of Jesus Christ than we are sitting here right now. We just thank you for our time. Okay, so 2015, so us as a church. So what's the deal? Uh, what's Pastor thinking about? What's going through his mind? What's he been praying about? Now, so all the stuff that we're about to talk about, okay, and give you an idea as far as where we're headed and what's going on, it has been bathed in, like, years of prayer, all right? Years of prayer. Um, for some of these things that we'll be talking about, it's going on, I don't know, seven years or so of prayer. So we might touch on some of that this year. So I'm kind of excited about some of what we're talking about. Um, some of what we're talking about, actually a good chunk of it, is um, going to be a big faith step for us as a church. As far as I think it's a direction that we're supposed to be going, I just feel a conviction in my heart. And it, if we just evaluate right now today, it might not look like all the pieces are in place for that. But... We're not necessarily called to just live that way where we only carry things out when it looks like it's all going to come together. Sometimes, that's like what the Christian life looks like. When it's not all figured out and we don't have all the details and it's we're missing some key parts, sometimes that's when God says, hey, yeah, it doesn't really matter. I still want you to do it. Remember, he fed the 5,000. He fed the 4,000. It was with like seven loaves and two fish. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense to say, hey, sit these guys down and let's feed them any sense. Um, so some of what I'm going to talk about is like, it's going to involve some faith steps. Maybe not quite to that degree. We're going to try and feed 32,000 people in Naugatuck, you know, and show up with like a loaf of Wonder Bread. Maybe not that heavy, but to some degree, I think something that's appropriate for us. Um, so let me give you an idea of where we're headed. So I spent a lot of time um, the past couple of weeks trying to put all this uh, down and figure out our calendar. So, throughout uh, the year, there's going to be a big focus and a big emphasis for our church on outreach. Like, just getting out and about. Meeting people in town, around town, serving, actually being loved to those around us. Um, many times, we won't have an opportunity to, like, you know, engage in theological debate, or even if we do, Sometimes it just leads to just the debating, and then you just stay there. Many times, if you can be that love and act like you really care because you really do, then people sometimes are more willing to hear about, hey, why are you like that? What's going on? So there's going to be a heavy emphasis um, on that this year. And um, this year, and, and, I, and I wrote a whole bunch of things down. You have to remember all this because we'll go through it as the year goes. But... Um, We'll do it one, two, three, four, seven or eight different outreaches this year coming up. And one of the first ones we're going to be doing in February. And I'll need some help coordinating some of this. Um, so that's what that third bullet point is about, um, Valentine's Day blessing. And so one thing I've been thinking and praying about, and uh, I think it's going to work out okay, is that safe haven. Anybody know what safe haven is? It's in Waterbury and Southbury and... Um, what Safe Haven is, it's a uh, place where um, 
uh, single women that are usually battered or abused or in a really tight spot. Um, they can go to these places. Sometimes they'll have small children. Sometimes they won't. They can go to these places, but generally when they're there, they're like in a rough spot. Like life is caving in. You know what I mean? It's like it's very difficult. Um, and uh, what I wanted to do is I wanted to bless like those women on Valentine's Day. Make it special for them. You know, so that's going to be one of our first outreaches coming up in February. And what I wanted to do is I wanted to donate some money there first. And then secondly, I wanted to make a bunch of home-cooked meals, you know, maybe with some notes and cards and stuff attached. And just make them feel special, just at least, you know, for that day. You know, and, and drop that off for them. Because, uh, you know, whether we see them ever again in church doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? But if we can help, you know, bring love to them somehow, some way, on, on a day like Valentine's Day, you know, to help, you know, show some of that love, I think would be good. Um, so I'll need some help, like, planning that and coordinating that. And so if anybody's interested in helping me out, um, that would be great. Um, later on, around uh, tax time, uh, I got another outreach kind of planned out right around tax time. And um, we're going to be giving away, like, free stamps uh, the day before tax day because uh, people are going to need some stamps to send, like, some of their tax stuff in. And I figured we can set up a table, um, actually right next to the post office. Um, and we can give out free coffee, free donuts, you know, give out some free stamps, you know, and um, let them know that we're here. And um, there's a lot of different ideas like that planned out for this year. And so I have a lot more too, but I tried to balance it so that, like, it's also appropriate for our size and what we can do. Because you don't want to overextend yourself either, because that's not very wise at all. Um, so a lot of things like that planned out, and then also a lot of other things planned out to where we can spend more time together outside of Sunday morning. So almost every month, almost, there's at least one thing scheduled for us outside of Sunday where we can get together, like, as a group. Be it bonfires and s'mores when it's warmer outside, family movie nights, you know, where we can just get together and, you know, bring the kids and have some popcorn and make our own Sundays, you know what I mean, and, like, hang out to a movie uh, nighttime. Um, all kinds of different stuff. And so we're just going to try and build this family together strengthen us up as a group here, and then also really make it a point to hit this town around us and, like, be impactful. You know I mean? Because it's good to come here and be at church and listen and, um, you know, be moved by the Spirit and have God speak to our hearts. But the goal is, like, to go out and actually do that stuff, you know, and, and, and be that stuff. And so that's the goal for this year. Um, and so if you can this, like your church home, um, that's where we're headed. So hopefully you're okay with that. We move in that direction, and um, I think it's going to be really good. I think it's going to be really good, because we just don't want to come here and do a little club on a Sunday morning. It's about so much more. You know? But it also is true that in order for us to really be stable and go out, we have to be strong here first, you know, because you don't want to spread yourself out too kind of a balancing act of both. Um, the other new thing I wanted to tell you about, in your uh, bulletin, you can see at the bottom there, in the inside cover, there's a budget at the bottom there. Okay? And we don't talk a lot about money in here. Um, and it's very interesting. Uh, I was talking with a uh, pastor friend of mine. I was like, last year sometime. And uh, he was talking about finances and different things. Like, well, how often, you know, do you guys preach at your church 
I'm like, well, you know, our church is a little bit different. You know, we just go right through books of the Bible. We don't really do too many topical things. I mean, sometimes it switches here and there. And, you know, depending upon a holiday um, or time of year, you know, maybe it would be more of a topical type deal. But we kind of just go right through the Bible. And uh, the person I was talking to, the other pastor, he does a lot of topical stuff. He's like, oh, I make sure that we hit on finances, um, you know, at least those like eight or nine times a year, like solid. And then maybe we'll do a series just devoted to finances. I'm like, wow, you might do, out of a 52-week year, you might do 12 to 16 weeks just on finances, huh? Every year. He's like, yeah. Like, All right. You know, and, I mean, that's fine. Um, but what's interesting is that, you know, as you go through the Bible, and we're going through book by book, and it's true we're not going in order, but if you were to go through, let's say just New Testament, because we really live in New Testament times, Jesus has come, he has died. Um, there's not a whole lot of talk about money. He doesn't bring it, like when we study through Matthew, how often do we talk about money and finances? Not a whole lot, right? There were some places here and there where we did talk, but not a lot. And um, nonetheless, though, ministry, church, going out, being a part of the community, right? All this stuff costs money and it's expensive. And so, what many pastors and churches like to do is really make sure they hit on their tithing and offering messages a lot in a year to keep the boat afloat and pay the bills. Um, that's not necessarily uh, my viewpoint in how I read the New Testament. In the Old Testament, tithing, giving 10%, was a way of life and it was commanded by God. You've got to do it. You've got to give it. Right off the top, you bring the first fruits, like whatever you get, you know, in those days they had herds and they had gardens. The first fruits, the best that you have, you give to me. To send the message of, hey, listen, I am God. You keep 90%, that's fine. But you give me 10% right off the top. And what it does is it helps those people understand who really provides for them. Now, in the New Testament, it's very interesting. It's never given anywhere as a rule where God's people are supposed to tithe and give 10%. You won't find it anywhere. It's not there. What is encouraged in the New Testament is in Corinthians, it's encouraged that Christians should be generous and give liberally. That when they see a need, they should be there to be able to help meet that need. So the idea in the New Testament is, as we grow closer to God's heart, and we learn more about Jesus and who he is, it loosens up our fingers on our wallets. We become able to give more because we want to give more. Because we start to have the heart of Jesus Christ in us. So is it a bad thing to give 10%, 50%, 20%? No, it's, it's not a bad thing at all. But the New Testament commandment is meant to give generously. Be generous. Don't be realize who it comes from. And many times, for a lot of people, it's really helpful, you know, to get in the mode of giving and giving regularly is to give that 10%. And that's fine. Um, but it's not commanded, you know, in the New Testament. The idea is to be generous and to give. And if it's like for somebody, oh man, I gotta tithe this week, I gotta give some money, then don't do it. Don't do it. If you're gonna do it grudgingly, then don't do it. Right? You want to be able to give and give generously and want to give and be excited to be like, oh, I get to give it back to the Lord and see what he's going to do. 
not even really mine anyways, but we start to think that it is because we put in all our hours during the week and we work really hard. Trust me, I know. I'm right there with you. And I would like to say every Sunday, I love to tithe to this church. I don't always feel that way. Sometimes it's real tight. Well, a lot of times, actually. Really tight. But it's important that Julie and I and our family and then our boys understand that, hey, we don't own any of this stuff. It's not even ours. God lets us hold it for a while. And really what the principle comes down to is not necessarily tithing or not tithing. The principle is stewardship. What kind of managers are we being with what we've been given? Sometimes we have more and sometimes we have less. So it shouldn't determine, like, you know, how much we're giving. The issue is stewardship, managers. How are we being with what we have, whether a lot or whether a little? And do I hold tightly when I have a little? Because then that's going to say a whole lot about me. Right? So, for the first time, you see money and numbers in the bulletin. And I keep that in there is because also for the first time this year, um, we have actually a pretty decent budget in place for the church. Usually we spent money just as far as, you know, with whatever needs that come up, you know, you know if we need, um, you know, items for Sunday school, you know, you just buy. You need a projector, you know, for the kids, you know, you just buy. But, um, you know, now we're getting to the place where it's important to where we can budget certain things and have an actual structure, you know, to what we're doing so that way we can have our money in particular places so we can actually say, hey, yes, we could commit in this area and we could do this over here. Because what it does starts to set us up to let us know where our limitations maybe might be. Because you can't just say yes to everything. And something you've got to say no to. Right? Something you've got to say yes to. And you've got to be able to figure that out. And it's really tough to figure that out. It's like, well, how much money did we spend here last year? I don't know. I'll just go do it. You can't just always fly by the seat of your pants, right? has to be some sort of plans, like we talked about before, plans, but plans that are submitted to God. Where we pray about budget and really look over, you know, where the money's getting spent. So, really careful about it. So in there, what you're going to see each time is you see those boxes filled up where it says total given last week, and that's blank because, right, first Sunday, right, this year. So, total given so far, so that'll be updated, you know, based on whatever's, you know, so in, you know, May, you know, we'll we'll know where we're at. But our goal for the year is 52,000. So basically for this church, to function as it does with a budget to give us some room to do some things where we can do in the community $52,000. Which is actually, when I talked to other pastors, like, wow, you could do that for fifty grand? I said, yeah. We're penny pinchers. We can get it done. You know, we will stretch it. We will stretch it. Um, so, uh, so that's our goal for this year. So that's another change for us. You know? So that's like an actual goal you know, as far as where we're headed. And the point of putting that in there is not to put pressure on you, and it's not to overwhelm you. It's just to give you a heads up. This is where the needs are at financially for us as a church. That's it. That's all. There's no secret message attached to it. So I want you to know that. Does that make sense? Okay. And then the other thing I want you to know, so it's clear, is that um, for about, well, almost four and a half years now, um, as being pastor of the church, I, I've never had a salary of any kind from the church, ever. This past year, started to take a very small amount just so we could set up payroll, because payroll goes through a third party, so it's all legally like good and legally compliant. 
And so this will be the first year um, that I will be taking some part-time pay has been voted on. Um, so this will be a first year for that. And um, nice. Oh, thank you. Yeah. I, uh, yeah. So yeah. thanks. Thank you. I, I know Julia was like, oh, you know, she, she had mixed feelings. Because you know, we've been doing it for so long, it's like, you know, should we be getting paid? You know, like this. And, um, and it's okay. And the Bible's more than clear to say that, um, you know, whoever brings the gospel and works and acts as a shepherd, it's okay if they take pay from it. But it's also okay if they choose not to, just not at all for any way, shape, or form. Um, I mean, the hope and plan for our family is that we move into being a pastor, you know, and serving the church full-time. Like, that's the hope, that's the prayer. I don't want to teach math for the rest of my life. I, you know, it's fine. It pays the bills. The fun part is in the classroom and hanging out with the kids and getting to know them and sharing Jesus with them and praying for them. That's fun. I don't want to talk about polynomials first period. Like, I just, you know, it's not that fun. It's just, you know, I could get it done, but, you know. Sal enjoys that. You know, that's like, that's made for it. I'm not passionate about it. I'm passionate about Jesus Christ and seeing lives transformed for him. Seeing families get restored. Seeing people forgive one another. Seeing people take radical steps of faith and then watching God come through in their lives and in their families. That I will stay up all night for. That is what I'm passionate about. So, um, so that... We're clear, 2015, you have a better idea of where we're headed and, like, what's going to be happening. Now, all the details aren't there, but at least you have some idea. Big focus on outreach. Another focus on getting us together a little bit more often as a family. And then, uh, hopefully, we can meet our budget come the end of the year. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. All right. Okay. Um, Matthew 17, right? That's where we're at? Okay. A, quick words on, a couple of quick words on this. I think this is important. All right. And as you're there, let me just bring up something real quick about this fasting thing. And our passage is about fasting. So as I was driving home last Sunday, I was like, man, I think it'd be maybe kind of helpful for some people if we talked about some misconceptions and mistakes when it comes to fasting. I know we talked a lot about stuff last week, but I don't know if everything comes through clear. Probably doesn't a lot of the times. And I apologize. So, misconceptions and mistakes when it comes to fasting. Uh, and, and some of this is repeated, but I just want to make sure we're, we're good. Um, one is uh, fasting is not a catalyst to get rid of bad habits. Right? So this is not like, oh, I need to stop doing this, so the reason I will fast is because of this. Um, if you're choosing to quit something or get rid of something because God has really placed it on your heart and you want to also involve that in the fasting process, that's good. But if it's just like, I need to stop uh, eating chocolate or cracking my fingers so I will do that during fasting, that's not like really what it's about, right? So um, it's not just used as a catalyst. The goal is to actually get closer to God, right? That's the goal. If, um, you know, something gets dropped and time because of it, hey, so be it. It's a double win. But the goal is to get closer to God. Like, that's really the goal of it. Um, 
So that's one, maybe, mistake or misconception. Two, it has to be something that's a real sacrifice. And I think of my friends um, sometimes that uh, sacrifice things for Lent, and it's like, you know, I, uh, I won't take the dog out for 40 days. So, you know, they took part in Lent, but, man, it didn't cost you anything, you know? Like, what is the deal? So it should be something that really costs you, that's, that's going to hurt the flesh. So be like, no, I need this. I want that. I got to have it. So it should be something where, like, it's, it's going to get you. Like, it's an actual real deal sacrifice. Um, and in our fast, you know, the deal is one meal a day. Uh, maybe for whatever reason, medical reasons or whatever, you can't do food or meals. Um, then maybe it has to be something else. You know, it has to be something else. Put that in place. Because the idea is you get rid of that stuff and you fill the time that you would normally spend with that stuff with God. So we fill ourselves up with the Spirit and we feast on God and His presence and in prayer and we abstain from the other stuff. Alright? So, one's got to be not a, not good to have it be a catalyst just to kick some bad habit. Uh, two, it's got to be like a real sacrifice. Um, three, this is, a fast isn't done to earn you extra brownie points or extra favor with God. Like, just because we fast and pray does not mean that then God will definitely do something that we want or definitely fix something that we want. Does not mean that. The purpose of the fast is to get closer to Him and better understand what He wants very easy to put the focus of fast on us because we're denying ourselves. God, I'm denying myself. This thing is really hard for me not to do. Now you have to do this. <laughs> it's very easy to think that way. But th- again, that's not the purpose, right? That's not the goal. So, it's not going to earn you any extra favor brownie points with God. The goal of the fast is, Lord, what do you want to do in my life and through my life? again, the goal for the Christian is being transformed into the image of Jesus, not to have God fix all of our problems. It's not the goal. Another one. Don't commit to doing the fast if you really don't think you're going to keep it. It's just not a wise thing to do. And Proverbs is pretty clear on that. You know, Proverbs tells you if you get really consider before you start making a vow, like don't do it. Consider it beforehand if you're like, eh, I just don't think I can I'm just not it. I just flat out don't want to, then don't. You know, then don't. That's fine. That's fine. And then here's the last one. Don't let everyone know how much you're suffering or sacrificing. <laughs> you know, so you show up to work, you know, whatever. It's <sighs> 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 the stupid stuff we do. You know, somebody's at lunch, and you're set, you're, you, maybe you're giving up lunch. I don't know. You look, wow, it's really good. But I'm fasting at church. Don't do that stuff. Please don't do that. It's not good. It's not good. You know, and, um, and that doesn't mean 
that like you have to be totally silent and not tell anybody about it because it's also good to have people that maybe help hold you accountable maybe it's going to be a tough fast and maybe you need somebody to be like hey keep on me for this like I need some help because I'm going to struggle um, that's okay to like share that with that person and, and with a purpose of honesty um, to keep you accountable to your vow but it's not good to just draw attention so that way the focus again becomes on us and how much we're sacrificing, right? That's not good. And um, Jesus even said it. He said, when you fast, which is interesting, he didn't say if. He said, when you fast, which apparently that's like a way of life for the Christian, right? When you fast, in Matthew 6, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites do, you know, which they tell everybody all about, even though they make a big scene, right? We're not called to do that stuff, okay? So not a catalyst, uh, you know, get rid of bad habits, um, make sure you sacrifice something that's real. It's not going to earn you any extra favor at brownie points. Don't commit if you're not going to do it. And um, don't let everybody know how much you're suffering. All right, so mistakes and misconceptions, hopefully that helps clear maybe a couple things up. All right? So do you think we can do Matthew 17 real fast? Still get to the point? I think we can do it. I promise I'll do it. Okay, here we go. And there's a couple questions in your bulletin. All right, Matthew 17, verse 14. All has to do with fasting. I couldn't get this out of my head as we were just talking about fasting. As we'll be doing this. Because a big focus that we talked about last week was like positioning, right? Positioning, getting ourselves aligned with what God wants to do, which is a big part. It says, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him. Lord, have mercy on my son, he said. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, Jesus replied. How long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Jesus rebuked the demon, and it came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Then the disciples came to Jesus in private and said, why couldn't we drive it out? He replied, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So a big point of emphasis from last week is that someone could be a born-again believer, Bible-banger, Jesus followed. And they could confess that, but unless their life really reflects it, God still might not be able to move in their lives in the way that he should be able to move. In other words, someone could be confessing to be a Christian, to be a believer, um, but still be out of position for what God wants to do. Does that make sense? Somebody could be a confessing Christian and believer and still be out of position with what God wants to do. Well, how could they be out of position? They believe in God. They believe in Jesus. Because that's not the qualifier. Even Satan believes in God and believes in Jesus. He even saw him rise from the dead. Like he had firsthand seats of that. That's not the qualifier. The qualifier is actually believing and then submitting to him as my Lord and my life. He has.
that saved me. Jesus, thank you. You have saved me. You're the Lord of my life. I want to give my life to you, follow you, have your way in me. Right? It's a big time difference in like, oh yeah, I believe in God. I believe in you. I'm a Christian. Big time difference, right? Now, in our story here, verse 14, when they came to the crowd, a man approached Jesus and knelt before him, Lord, have mercy on my son, he says. He has seizures and is suffering greatly. He often falls into the fire, into the water. I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. In other words, I have my son. He's got these seizures. He is sick. I brought him to your guys. Your guys, your men, your followers, your Christians. I brought them to them. Because he needs help. We need help. He needs healing. So I brought him to your guys. And they couldn't get it done. Right? So there's a need coming up. Would you say that these guys are Christians and Christ followers? Oh, yeah. They're the disciples. Like, they walked with him. You know what I mean? Jesus is just coming. Right in this point in time, Jesus is just coming down from a mountain. He just did the transfiguration where he hung out with three of the apostles, uh, Peter, James, and John, but the rest were down there. So he's coming down the mountain with Peter, James, and John, which are probably, like, freaking out because they had an amazing experience on the mountain with Jesus where he's transfigured before their eyes and they met uh, you know, with Elisha and Moses. So then they come down the mountain and chaos breaks loose. There's sickness. Um, there's this boy with a seizure. They come up to Jesus' guys. Please, heal him. Do something. And you can just picture him right there, you know, just coming around, praying, laying hands on him, however they're praying for him. And nothing's happening. Nothing's happening. And probably as they're praying, they're there. This guy's having seizures. So he could even be having a seizure, you know, right there. And so they're praying. You know, I'm sure a couple of them are looking, you know, and something happening, you know, while we're praying. Is he healed yet? <coughs> As they're praying, he's still doing it. Now I'm sure they're thinking, well, Jesus was here. This isn't happening. If Jesus was praying for him right now, he definitely not be an issue. But I'm praying. And like it's still happening. And so as they're praying, you could see maybe how in their mind they're thinking, oh my gosh, now I'm in this thing and I'm praying, nothing's happening. Uh, now what do I do? Now they're stuck. Have you ever actually taken a risk of faith and been there? Have you ever actually prayed, stuck your neck out, maybe even in the moment as you're praying nothing is happening for that in fact they're still having their seizure or they're having whatever they're having but now you're in this thing and you can't get out because you offered to pray for them because you were the Christian so that's where they're at and now they're freaking out I'm sure I don't know, you know I don't know and then they're questioning and everybody's like what's going on so Jesus shows up and he says, Oh, unbelieving and perverse generation, how long shall I stay with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring the boy here to me. Now, we pause there for a minute. The response seems harsh, right? It definitely does. 
can't deny that. At the same time, Jesus, in other words, is saying, guys, how come you are not getting this? How come this is not happening right now? Like, you've been with me for three years? This has been our thing. This is all we've been doing. We've talked about it. We've done this numerous times. You're missing. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do you think... Do I have it in here? Probably. Uh, No, I don't have that one in there. Why do you think Jesus would ask this question? Would he ask this question if this boy was not supposed to be healed? Do you think Jesus would ask this question if it was not God's will to heal this boy? What do you think? Otherwise, he'd just be giving him a serious guilt trip just to make him feel bad. That's not really his style. It's not what he does. So if it's God's will to heal this child, right? Wouldn't you say? From the language. And we eventually know that Jesus will do it. So it's God's will to heal this child. Because he never said to him, oh, no, you know, this is not part of God's plan. Like, that's why he's not getting healed right now. You guys should have known that. That's not what he says. Scott, why haven't you figured this out yet? How come it's not connecting? What's the disconnect? So, was it God's will to heal the boy in the, in the bulletin? Yeah. Did the disciples pray to heal the boy? Yeah. Did God heal the boy when they were praying? very interesting. So God, it was God's will to heal someone. His own followers were praying, and it still didn't happen. What is the deal? Could it be, is it possible in our own lives that it's God's will to do powerful and amazing things, possibly even healings in and around our lives, and he wants to do it, we could even be praying to do it, and it still doesn't get done. Definitely. Possible. Most likely. Probable. So then Jesus shows up, rebukes the demon, came out of the boy, and he was healed from that moment. Here's the million dollar question. Disciples came to Jesus in private, and they said, you know, why couldn't we drive it out? He, saw, he replied, because you have so little faith. And in Mark's gospel, he also mentions, he says, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. That's what he says. Now, his disciples, they were Christ's followers. They've been around him, but for whatever reason, they were not positioned right with God to see what God really wanted to do. Jesus was positioned correctly because he had already been fasting and been praying. He was able to see what God wanted to do in that moment. 
the point of our fast as a church and hopefully for you as an individual is so that you can actually see what God wants to do. Actually see it and pray for it and have that thing happen. Because Jesus accused them of what? He accused them of unbelief, a lack of faith. And did he say it was a lack of faith because the boy didn't believe? No. Did he say it was a lack of faith because the father didn't believe? No. He went right to the disciples, the Christ followers, the Christians. He said, you guys, you're not believing. Where's your faith at? How come you're not seeing that God wants to do this? That's the same question he poses at us. Why are you not seeing? We got to see. God wants to move in and around in our lives in miraculous ways. And stuff gets in the way. We got to see what he wants to do. How he wants us to minister to those around us. How he wants us to pray. Because even though we might think it's a good idea, and maybe even involve God a little bit, it might not be exactly what God wants to do. So faith is a big issue here. It's a big issue. And the Hebrew says it's so big, it says that it's impossible to please God without it. It's impossible to please God and live as a faithful Christian without living a life of faith and believing him for the impossible and sticking our necks out there and doing things that feel uncomfortable and unfamiliar for us. And so I'm hoping during our fast time, man, that God will help open some eyes and help us to see what's really going on around us. Because it's so much more than the sickness that we deal with. Just because somebody is sick, does that necessarily mean that they could pray for someone else? Someone who's already sick. Pray for someone else and have God not do a miracle or touch somebody else. Not true at all. God could absolutely do that. Why would he not be able to do that? Just because somebody's sick or struggling or going through a tough time, like then they're just like not usable by God? That's not about what's going on with us physically. It's with what he did at the cross. Like we live in Christ. We have inherited a new life. And so Jesus, in other words, he's saying, guys, you don't understand what you've been born into now. Many times we don't understand, like, what we are born into. Heavenly kingdom royalty. With supposedly an abundant life. That's what Jesus said. We're supposed to be living in abundance. Doesn't mean lots of possessions and lots of money. Maybe there'll be a season of that. But in a sense... Man, we can have unbelievable peace and really live in power and live in freedom. That's an abundant life when you're not locked down to anything. And I love how Jesus, he says, yeah, you guys lack the faith, but then look what he does after that. He says, you have faith as small as a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible. 
So he says, yep, you're lacking some faith, but I like how he attaches to that faith a promise. Man, if you have some faith, even as small as a mustard seed, That's where the life is at. That's where the Christian life is at. My um, my aunt is uh, she got rushed to the hospital on uh, on Sunday after church, and been spent a lot of time with her and talking with her, and she's been in the ICU pretty much all week. She came out for a little bit and then went back. And she's got a COPD and not breathing well, and and she smokes, you know, too. So it's like ugh, all her lungs and stuff are already inflamed, and like whenever she does that, it just makes it worse, and it's just not good. And so, um, multiple trips up there, multiple times with her here, praying over her, praying for her. And I have yet, you know, it's not like, uh, you know, we prayed for her, you know, at church and she just pulled the oxygen out. She started breathing, color came back and was storming around the room. disciples are in that same position, praying, asking for God to do miracles, to heal, to come in powerfully, and all they're seeing is seizures. So at that moment, whoever's doing the praying, whoever the Christian is, has a decision. That thing doesn't work anyway. I'm not trying this again. And if that happens, the Christian is much more likely to get in the ring the next time. It's not good. We're called to be in the ring all the time, regardless of what we see, think, or feel. Regardless. And maybe it's discouraging or frustrating in the moment, but it's never a call or a qualifier, man, to stop interceding, stop asking God for what he wants to do. You know, then I go into the hospital, um, you know, and spend some time, and she's like pretty much out of it, you know, she's all drugged up, and, um, you know, so I just spent like the next, you know, hour or so just praying with her. You know, just sitting there with her, just praying over her. And then I'm just looking at her, you know, as I'm praying, like nothing I can see going on. Nothing that I can see going on. I don't know how much that matters. I don't know how much that matters to keep me in praying for the next time. And I, met, I remember, it mattered to me a little bit. When I walked out, it definitely did. So I walk out from the room. And I walk out of there feeling like, ah, oh, maybe you've had the feeling before. You really believe God hard for something. You just didn't see it come through. At least you see it come through the way that you thought you should see it. And you leave, and it's like, ah, oh, maybe there is no power. Maybe there is, you know, nothing really going on. Maybe it's just a nice meditative practice to help calm your soul and bring peace to your mind. Man, you can't get stuck in those ones. We just got to be faithful and obedient and keep going after them. Being relentless. Being relentless. Because, man, I want to see, and I hope it's your heart and your prayer, too, that you want to see what he's doing and what people are crying. It's amazing to me. It's amazing to me that disciples who walk with Jesus couldn't do anything 
with this boy. And then Jesus comes down, and he's like, oh, man, it was God's will. He wanted to do this the whole time anyways. And, like, they just they couldn't see it. They couldn't see it. So I'm hoping that hopefully we can see it. You know, that's the prayer. And, um, I'm hoping God really open up our eyes and help us to see some different things. Um, because God wants to do a lot. And he loves people a lot. And uh, he wants to use us as his main instruments. He doesn't really fall on, like, the pastors or the missionaries or whoever else. It falls on the entire body. Every Christian. Every Christian. And hopefully we're not Christians that are so tied to our circumstances or situations that we just think, oh, until that thing gets taken care of, I can't really be used. God's not really going to do a lot. It's just not the case. It's just not the case. He's looking to work and move now. And I'm hoping a fast to start off the year will help open up the eyes and help bring that to an actual reality. Help bring that to an actual reality got an amazing God living inside of us who wants to do amazing things in and around us. Maybe he wants to do them right for us. Maybe he just wants to use it to do something to somebody else. I mean, no matter what, he wants to transform us into the image of Jesus. That's going to happen. That's going to happen. I hope our faith can elevate to where thinking and talking and praying and just functioning in life in ways that beginning of 2015, we weren't doing it. But maybe at the end, you know, we are just a little bit more and growing a little bit more. Let me make sure. I look at this here. Oh, see, I'm glad I looked at this because sometimes I forget these questions and fill in the blanks and people get mad and I understand. Yeah, and then they put it on Facebook. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> So the question's real quick. Why were the disciples unable to heal the boy? They couldn't see. They couldn't see. It was actually God's will and God's plan. They couldn't. They hadn't been in the same place that Jesus had been in through fasting and prayer. They hadn't been there. Now, that doesn't also mean that whenever you fast and pray, Jesus is automatically just going to do a healing miracle. I'm not saying that. I'm saying it helps us to see better and see more clearly. That's what I'm saying. Was it God's will to heal the boy? Yes. His disciples prayed to heal the boy. Yes. Did God heal the boy when the disciples prayed? No. Will doubt make our prayers impossible to answer? Good question. Glad you thought of it. Will doubt make our prayers impossible to answer? Let's look real quick. Mark 9. And this is it, and then we take communion. So, Mark 9. And it is true. It is true that doubt plays a considerable role when it comes to prayer and faith. What page? 
7.14. It is true. Doubt plays a considerable role when it comes to faith and prayer. Doubt can get in the way a lot of times. It can. You can't deny that. It can get in the way. It can even make things not happen sometimes. It just happened with the disciples. They had unbelief. They had doubt. It didn't happen. Jesus fasting and praying saw what God was doing. Man, there was not even... He was confident in what God was about to do because he had just been with him. He knew his heart and what he wanted to do in that moment. Don't you want to be at that place? This place where I want to be in. We can just be like that all the time. Know God's heart and what he's doing in the moment and just function through life like that. Can you imagine the type of life? That's what we're called to do. Now it is true. Doubt plays an important part. That's why our faith level needs to increase. But it's also very true. There's God's grace, even at times, is bigger than our doubt. Where sometimes our doubt, if we're honest about it before God, He will still work despite the doubt. I'm not saying all the time, but I'm saying sometimes. And grace covers that. Isn't that nice to know that we have a Father that does that? He's not expecting perfect faith all the time for things to be moved. It's good to know. And that's in the Bible. Take a look. Matthew 9. Oh, I'm sorry. Mark 9. Sorry, I was on the wrong page. Mark 9. Verse 21. We'll pick up there. Uh, let's pick up in 20. So they brought him to him, another boy. When the Spirit saw Jesus, it immediately threw the boy into a convulsion. So you got a boy, he's got this spirit in him, obviously not of God, of the enemy. He fell to the ground and rolled around, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has he been like this? From childhood, he answered. It has often thrown him into the fire water to kill him. But if he can do anything, take pity on us and help us. That doesn't sound like a whole lot of faith, does it? If you could do anything, like, if it helps out in some way, God, that would be great. Please do something, if you could. Verse 23, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. Tell me that's not a doubting dad right there. He's a hurting dad, too, because his boy is, like, not his boy, you know? He's, like been invaded by a spirit that causes whole convulsions and throws him into fire and into water and he's trying to kill this kid. He's a hurting dad. So you can't blame him all too much for his faith level not being that super Christian. So he says, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. So what's Jesus going to do with like some doubt? When Jesus saw that a crowd was running to the scene, he rebuked the evil spirit. You deaf and mute spirit, he said, I command you come out of him and never the spirit shrieked, convulsed him violently, and came out. The boy looked so much like a corpse uh, that many said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him to his feet, and he stood up. So, and again he says here, after Jesus had gone indoors, his disciples asked him privately, why couldn't we drive it out? This kind could come out only by prayer. So interesting. Doubt plays a role, but it's not like the trump card, end all, be all but it also is significant. We want to try and ask God to try and get rid of that doubt as much as we can. 
God, help me just to believe and have faith and increase my faith. This is a doubt and doubt. Another instance of doubt was with the disciples when Jesus rose from the dead on Easter. They're praying. And uh, they're, they're in the room praying there, and uh, Jesus shows up, and they're just blown away. They cannot believe it. They didn't really expect him to show up. It's incredible. In fact, uh, they shut the door on him. So there's a lot of doubt sometimes that can happen, but it's not the trump card. It doesn't mean God you know, won't do anything. But I think from that passage, I think it's important to note that we got to be honest with our doubt before God. God, I want to believe you for this. I think this is what you want to do, but Lord, I am having doubts. I have a hard time seeing this. Help me to see it. Be honest with him about it. Pray like that to him. It's important. The playing field is level then. You're not trying to hide anything or trying to be something you're not. You're trying to muster up enough faith. Like, be honest about that. And ask him to bring you there. So what we're going to do is we're going to take communion. Take some time in that uh, right now, and then uh, we're going to pray together. So the elements are up here. And um, we have a song that we'll be playing. And um, if you'd like to uh, take the elements and say, yes, you know, God is Lord of my life. I submit to him. And, I belong to him and I am his. And you definitely want to take communion. Doesn't mean uh, how well did you live out your Christian life this past week. Um, but it does mean, hey, listen, if you're submitted and surrendered and he's ruler of your life, you want to take communion. If not, you don't want to. It doesn't mean anything. So um, the elements are up here. Um, the song we'll play, we'll just come right up, uh, grab your elements and hold on to them. And then uh, we'll take them together.